Hey everyone, welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. And if you are new to this podcast, I'm so delighted that you could join me today. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and, and share this podcast with friends. You can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And if you like what you hear, please give me a wonderful review because it will bring other people to this podcast to share this information that helps women to demystify their hormonal issues and struggles and all the stuff that dances in between. And it's the challenges and struggles dancing in our lives that can keep us from moving forward. But wouldn't it be nice to move forward with more ease and grace so that you can give birth to the best version of who you can be in the world? Lately, I've been thinking of myself as a midwife meeting women wherever they are along their health journey and assisting them through the life canal. I love what I do. So I am super delighted to be hanging out with you for the next hour. I have a slew of podcasts lined up for the next few months, and uh, you'll be hearing more from the Hormone Lifestyle Zone on a consistent basis moving forward. I've been busy doing other busy stuff for the past, oh my God, six months or so, and I've kind of recalibrated my life. I want to have more fun with the things that I enjoy doing them. And one of them is really doing podcasts and sharing this information. It gets me really excited to be able to help people with new perspective on things that can move them along in their lives. So today's podcast is about how does our relationship with food reflect our relationship with life? And is the mirror broken? Is who we are seeing in the mirror authentically who we are? Or is this an image of a self-imposed expectation or expectations of what and who we should be and how we should look, our appearance? So why is our physical appearance associated so frequently with happiness and success? And recently, a young client said to me, she said, you know, Meg, I know what's holding me back from having a boyfriend. She said, if I could lose weight, I'd have a boyfriend, just like my friends. They're all thin. They're all skinny. And she said, but I can't lose weight. And I know this is the problem. And this young woman, she's not losing weight because she's eating too much. She's restricting her eating. She's been yo-yoing for years, and now it's backfiring on her. So we're working together to readjust how she eats and her relationship to food. But what's happening right now when, when she started working with me, it was this type of eating and this type of self-worth, it was wreaking havoc on her hormones. And again, her self-worth. I've been there. I know what that's like. So, because I, as many of you know, I struggled with an eating disorder. Started at the age of 16 when I was in high school. And it started with anorexia and kind of spiraled into bulimia when I entered my second year of college. So, today's podcast, again, is about our relationship to food and how food has become the vehicle or the container of self-worth for so many women. And this mirror is broken. 
My next guest is Sarah Young Wong, and we are going to explore this world of food and our relationship to food and our sense of self-worth and self-love and self-esteem. Sarah is a career coach. She's a writer and podcaster, and Sarah is also a client of mine. And both of us share that history of disordered eating. And as I said, mine began in my teens, but Sarah's struggle started at the age of 10. And for both of us, or I will speak for myself, it kept me from feeling and being comfortable in my own skin. I had a distorted view of my body. Not, I didn't have a sense of my authentic self because I didn't know how to love me. I didn't know my self-worth. So both of us now in present time assist women in transforming their lives to feel empowered, and we hold the space for what our clients need along their journey. Basically, for me, I'm guiding women in becoming the best mom they can be to themselves. So I'm going to pose some questions for you to think about. Why are so many women today resistant to taking care of themselves making this a priority. Why are so many women, and many of you listening today, placing yourself in the back seat? Some of you are sitting in the trunk of the car and somebody locked it. You're holding the key. How do we heal our hearts and cultivate self-love and self-worth? And Other questions that I'm going to pose that we're going to explore during this podcast. How do we sit with what we are feeling? We don't do that very well. How do we set personal boundaries, saying yes to what we need and what we want, and saying no to what, when it infringes, something infringes upon our personal space, our emotional space, our physical and spiritual space? How do we stay authentic to who we are. Better yet, how do we discover what that is? And how do we learn to discern between our physical and our emotional hunger, our needs? How do we feel or why do we feel guilty about nourishing ourselves? Why do we? We always put ourselves on the back burner. So many of us do. Why do we eat our emotions and our needs? Who are we behind closed doors? And who are we when we look in the mirror of life? Who are we when we turn off our iPhones, turn off social media? God, I want to throw that thing across the room. Social media drives me crazy. (laughs) Who are we when we turn off our TV and start tuning in to ourselves? The quiet is where we discover who we are. And why does this mirror no longer reflect the beauty of our own divine reflection? So the real question, if we're not feeling comfortable in our bodies, where is the discomfort stemming from in our lives? And how has food become the critical factor? So Sarah, I'd like to welcome you on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Thank you, Meg. That was beautiful. Oh, it gets me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So dear to my heart. Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting this. Well, it is because I, you know, so many women are struggling with Mm -hmm. food and 
who they are in the world and feel uncomfortable in their skin. And, and I want you to share your story and tell us about the work you do with women. But what I'm seeing is that so many women have been yo-yo dieting and it's been disrupting their hormones. And actually, if anything, they're gaining weight and they can't lose weight and they're trying all these crazy diets. Mm-hmm. And then they come to me and I try to do a reset. Yeah. Share your story. Okay. Let people know you. So currently I, I'm a career coach and I work with a lot of mm-hmm. people, a lot of women and men, but a lot of women who are type A driven, overachieving and have been so for their whole lives. And a lot of it, what's underpinning most of their life choices is a performance to earn worth, to be good enough. Hmm. And that's what has made them choose what to major in, to work hard, to get the 4.0, to get the good job that looks excellent on paper, to live for their resume, tick all the boxes of what you're supposed to be doing. And they find themselves in a life that was totally not chosen by them then because nothing's authentic in that. It's completely dictated to you by what you are perceiving is the thing that you must do to be enough. And this makes them very unhappy. And although I don't work with food issues, it's not uncommon that I will hear from them that they are struggling with food issues because that amount of stress needs an outlet. And I empathize a lot with that because I used to be that type A striver and definitely food was something that I used to feel like I had some form of control of my life. Like I can't control anything else about my life. Nothing is chosen. My whole life is scheduled for me with to-dos that I couldn't give a flying F about, to be honest. And food is the one area that I might have a say. And we talk about body image and that was also a factor, but it's sort of, for me, it's both. It gets this very hazy gray area where, I'm both motivated by wanting to my body to conform to the ideal mm-hmm. perfection, but I'm also motivated. And there's another mechanism going on where I feel control when I can enact some sort of control over my body. You know, and I, just to give you a brief overview, like you mentioned, I started at a very early age associating food with stress. Like I was 10 when I felt, and I felt a lot of pressure from my family and teachers. The environment that I grew up in was very like be perfect, Mm. you know, academically. And I remember realizing, oh, I can handle this if I don't eat dinner. Like it gave me a thrill to not eat. Or if I just have a piece of toast, it was this area that felt I I actually reduce my stress when I eat less. And that set up a really slippery slope that continued Mm -hmm. for, for the rest of my life until I had to learn a different way of addressing stress. And a lot of that had to do with choosing my life, with putting down all the things that I was doing, especially professionally, that were out of alignment for what I really want, who I really am, and starting to make choices that are a reflection of the true me. And the first step was discovering who I actually am, if I'm not this type A driven overachiever. So what did you do before you entered into the realm of coaching? 
I did my undergrad and then I stepped into the working world for a little bit. I was in government relations. And then I went and did my master's at the London School of Economics. And it was not because I love school. It was because you should get a master's and you should go to a fancy school and your parents will be proud of that. And now I get to say, you know, this is what I'm doing. And it was very, all very performative. And then after that, I thought I wanted to work for the UN because, you know, what looks better on paper than the UN? And I did that for a little while, didn't like it. And then I, I got a job in management consulting because that's the next thing that I was conditioned to believe that I should do and be worthy of my skills and talents. And it was so stressful and such a poor environment for me that I got very, very sick. And I don't mean depression. It was physically unwell. My body was shutting down. I wanted to crawl under my desk and sleep. My performance at work was terrible. I, my brain was full of cotton balls. I was forgetting meetings. And I eventually, it got so bad that even though it was the most painful thing in the world and felt like the end of the world and that all my work was for nothing, I got this fancy job and now I'm going to have to leave. And so I resigned. My body just forced it on me. And it's a bit of a blessing because I don't think I would have had the courage to leave on my own, on my own volition, if I hadn't had something really pushing me out the door. And I actually got a diagnosis of Lyme disease, which took me quite a long time to climb back from. And that's where you enter the picture because it took several years to sort through what was Lyme and also what was long-term impacts that my body was experiencing from my eating disorder. I was officially diagnosed with anorexia as a teen, although I it developed long before that. And when I was a teen, I remember thinking to myself, I'm probably really messing up my body in the long run, but I didn't know what to do or how to get out of it. So I just proceeded. And lo and behold, I did do some major damage hormonally, at least I can mm -hmm. tell to all of my system. And you've been so unbelievably helpful in correcting some of that already. Well, you had, if I can just share with our listeners, you had terrible stomach issues, a lot of stomach cramping and digestive issues. Yeah. And it was interesting as we worked together, it was like peeling back an onion. Little by little, things changed. The stomach aches went away. Yeah. The, you know, that sensation of a burning tongue. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about continuing, you know, the work that we've done is that you just kept leaning in and we kept peeling back. And I think for so many people on their journey of healing, whether it's through doing coaching or they're working with someone like myself, like career coaching or health coaching, you have to peel back the onion. You can't do everything at once. Mm -hmm. It takes time to, to create those changes. I mean, I remember when I started my journey in healing, I was really thankful. I had a really kind functional medicine doctor that was able to start peeling back the onion and working with a nutritionist that could help me start becoming more comfortable in my own skin and starting to make changes in, in my diet, which really involved how could I start loving myself a bit more? How do I, how was, you know, I'm, I'm going on here, but with that whole process of learning how to have a new relationship with food and self-care and leaning in is really a slow peeling back of an onion. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to interject that because a lot of times when, when people come in, I'm sure you see it too, they just 
they want to see those immediate changes and it, and it can take time. Yeah. And I empathize with that story of that girl that you mentioned yeah. because I proceeded with my anorexia to varying degrees. When I was a teen, it was hospitalization level, but then over time, you know, I was able to maintain an okay body weight, but I proceeded with that anorexic behavior until the Lyme or other, I think maybe just hormonal issues. I'm not sure which one it was for, like, it made me gain quite a bit of weight and mm. it was terrifying and disorienting. And all of these body image issues came up for me. And it was one of the primary focuses for me of why I wanted to get better mm. was to lose weight, right? To like, feel like you're adhering to what you think you're supposed to look like. And in some ways, I'm glad that it took the time that it did because it, allowed me to experience actually, oh, I can be loved and have friends and engage with the world and all the same things exist and joy exists at this larger size. I was sort of forced to stay at that larger size to learn what life could be like for me there. And I got comfortable actually, and even enjoyed my body or in mm. life, you know, being that size, you know, people saying that, your life will start once you lose the weight. It's not true. No, it's not true. It's not true. And as I said a little while ago, so many women that are coming in now, they're in their 20s, their 30s, or 40s, or 50s. They're like, I can't lose weight. Mm -hmm. And part of that, again, is this message of eat less, exercise more, and it's backfiring on people. Yeah. And it's it's keeping people in this stress fight or flight response. Yeah. We're putting people in survival mode and the body is doing what it's so resilient at, at, at doing. Oh, you're in survival mode. We must hold on to these calories. We must hold on to the weight because we don't know where the next meal is coming from. Yeah. I feel that for so many of us and so many women is like, how do we learn I think part of that self-care bit is we put ourselves in the backseat of the car. How do we start paying attention to listening to or addressing the stress? I was listening to a, a podcast earlier today, and this is so true. When you're, you're treating digestive issues like SIBO or whatever, or any health issue, you've got to address the stress first mm -hmm. because this is impacting the stomach and the digestion and the microbiome and your adrenals. How do we find ways to buffer that and at the same time nourish the body with food? Where do we find that balance? Yeah. The stress reduction piece has really been it's huge. the biggest healing tool. Oh, like yeah. you We've can, had so many discussions about this. Take your supplements and eat a specific diet all day long, do every other health behavior. But right. if you are stressed, that is it's not going to do anything. Or if you're not getting enough sleep yeah. and how many times yeah. we've had that conversation, I've had this with clients. It's like, you've got to turn off the phone. You've got to turn off the electronics at light, night, mm -hmm. create that quiet space. Yeah, Go to and bed. You know, if you want to get eight hours of sleep, I, I really suggest to clients get eight to nine hours, even if it's not nine, get into bed with a book. Just allow yourself time to ease into rest yeah. and sleep. Because yeah. that's such a, a big part of the equation. I have a friend of mine who is this incredible naturopath. She's a midwife. And she has to, and I think any nurse is going to relate to this, night shifts, working the night shift can just 
totally destroy your set an imbalance between your cortisol and your blood sugar. And this woman, she has PCOS and she had such severe insulin resistance. She had to go back on metformin. This is a naturopath. And it registered that, oh my God, I'm sleep deprived. I'm working the night shift. My cortisol levels are elevated, influencing my insulin. And it was like she had this big kahuna moment and she's working on making shifts in her life. And I'm using an extreme example because I want to tie it in. But sleep is imperative and Mm -hmm. sleep, a lack of sleep is a big stressor for people. So when you couple that with having stress in our lives, thinking that if we control the amount of food we eat, we're going to lose weight. One of the best things that I say to people, go for walks, go to bed early or go to bed earlier, relax. I have people, as you know, creating a well-balanced diet, finding ways to stabilize blood sugar. But what are the things that we can do that are just starting to romance ourselves each day? Where's that self-care fitting in? Yeah. And the women that I work with, I feel as though if I told them to do that, they would really struggle. Yeah, of course. For two reasons. One, they've never really done it. It mm-hmm. feels foreign. Yeah. And two, they are living a life where there isn't much space for them to do it, where they're overworked. They can't really, their stress levels and the demands in their life are so high that they don't really have that much space to take a walk they can barely get to the bathroom between conference calls. Well, this is great because I want you to continue because this is something I really wanted to talk about and I don't want to cut you off, but Mm -hmm. the big issue, and I want to throw this at you, I will have women say to me, I have no time to cook or be in the kitchen. Yeah. I have no time for me. So the question, this is where you come in. How do we reprioritize our priorities? Right. And the people that come to me are wanting to change their work situation and Mm -hmm. find, you know, either change their career or change their job or change their approach to work and their relationship Mm -hmm. with it so that they can create that space. They do have that space and they can take care of themselves. And it comes back again to what I was saying before of like, why are we doing what we're doing? I understand that we all need to make money in our work, but there are a lot of choices that are being made from trying to prove something, create an impressive identity. And, and that's what's holding you there in a life that maybe you don't actually want or is making you sick. And or keeping you from getting pregnant. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I, I have a question. So how do you, because I know what I see, how do you work with someone who's got a high powered job? They want to get pregnant. They have some of the, I've had clients say to me, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom. That contributes to constipation issues. It's like, mm-hmm. you can't, like if mother nature is is calling, you need to go to the bathroom. That's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. How do you help women shift into saying, I need to be taking better care, making sure I'm eating better? How do you reframe their present life into one that's more about shifting into balance. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little bit different nuance for for each person, but it's asking them straight out from a place of awareness of looking at what motivates you, why you do certain things, 
examining your own thinking, what is stopping you from doing that? And what are the pressures, stressors, responsibilities that you feel need to take priority over those things? And examining that thinking, like I said about if it's you're doing your job to prove your worth, then I have a conversation about examining and seeing. I'm not trying to get anyone to be convinced of anything, but you know, all of my ability to change my own life came when I discovered my inherent worth. And that's the ultimate truth that I try and walk my clients to see is that their existence, their worthiness of love, their worthiness of this self-care, their worthiness of joy has nothing to do with proving their worth through professional accomplishments or what their resume looks like. So what do you do or what do you start recommending to someone where this is very foreign? What are the first steps? Well, if they're not willing to leave their job, then it's just starting with what is it that we can do within the container of your work to draw some boundaries and exploring what prevents them from drawing those boundaries. And a lot of it can be, although on one hand, it can be based in some very real expectations of their job. Mm -hmm. And at other times we've just sort of internalized this you know, idea of a perfect performance that's not exactly based in reality and that it's okay. Maybe if I'm not saying this is like necessarily you taking care of yourself, but something that you want to do, maybe you want to do the kids drop off for school in the morning and you never do that because you always feel terrified that you're going to get an email you have to reply to. Well, Mm. let's explore what would it be like for you to go do the drop off and be relaxed and discover that the world doesn't come crashing down. And we just sort of probe at the edges of, of our perception and where we can create a little bit more spaciousness in our day. And I have this saying that I'll say to people is like, your work day is still your day. It's your day. But we don't approach it that way. A lot of times, if you're in work, that's very demanding and ultimately out of alignment for you. You're holding your breath all day and you're in a performance and you, you can't feel your feet. That's something I said to my mom when I was like, I want, I can't, I need to get out of this job. I was in that management consulting job. And one of the things as a shorthand that I said to her to capture a lot of like during the day, I can't feel my feet. I'm not aware of my body. I don't know where the time goes. I'm so captivated. I'm not present. It's just starting at the edges of like, where can we challenge some of the thinking to bring a little bit more space for you to breathe, to be in your body even just in a meeting, you're in a meeting, but let's come out of the performance and the fear of needing it to go perfectly. Let's examine how you can just breathe and bring the stress levels down just a little bit, even in the job. I remember previous to being an acupuncturist and then doing, you know, I started doing integrative medicine and functional nutrition, probably about five years into practice. But prior to that, I was an art director and I was a creative director and I was working at a small boutique agency down in Soho. And no matter how much I did, I never felt like I was getting anything done. I felt like a hamster on, on one of those wheels and nothing was getting done. And I had to get a presentation ready for MNBC. I hated doing advertising. I actually loved doing editorial and magazine design. So I was working in a position that I was not well suited for. And I pulled an all-nighter. And Saturday, I was supposed to, the next day, I was supposed to go to the opera with a friend. And this little voice said, you need to go home and go to sleep. I think I had been up for almost two nights. So I went to the opera. 
and we're walking down the stairs. We're in the mezzanine and I started to slip and I almost went over the balcony and I held on to the railing and I whacked the side of my head. And a few days later, I was diagnosed with a delayed concussion. I was at work and I was slurring and I had all these symptoms And I had to go to the emergency room and I stayed with a friend and I had a concussion and I went, that's it. I quit. It was like the universe was saying, you can't do this. And I remember I just quit. I had nothing lined up. And actually within about two years of that, that's when I decided, I said, what do I really, really want to do? And I really wanted to be involved in, I I didn't even know. I thought I was going to go to school to get a master's in physical therapy. And then I ended up going to school for acupuncture within about 18 months. But I literally got whacked up the side of the head to just make me realize this was, I was not on purpose and I was just losing me. For the first time in my life, my period was off. I was getting cystic acne. I've never had acne in my life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think, and I see this with clients, it, it can be extreme. Sometimes it's looking at our jobs and, and just saying, and I'm not saying that everybody has to quit their job, but is this job suited for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that I think a lot of women that come to see you or maybe even me, they're they're just doing so much. They feel like they're drowning. Yeah. And when you begin to make changes, so whether it's you stay in your job, but you're finding some space for you, or if you do change your your work to something that's more aligned, Mm -hmm. you'll find it will make eating easier. (laughs) At least I I found that, you know. I think when we were talking about recording this podcast, I mentioned like I was so driven in school, in in college, undergrad. And after graduating, I remember distinctly having the thought, oh, maybe I can eat now. You know, like the marathon is over. I mean, but that was before I understood that another marathon starts when you start your first job. And then Hmm. (laughs) that wasn't real. No, (laughs) but it it was so linked. And it's been me, the more that I heal and I, which is a process of like discovering who I am and honoring what I actually want for my life and not what other, not comparing to what other people are doing or being totally okay. I'm totally okay. Being way less quote unquote impressive or successful than some of my peers now, but I get to enjoy my life. And that has drastically shifted my relationship with food and it's a journey. Literally, I think I, I only decided that I wanted to recover from anorexia when I was, I don't know, let's be conservative, like 26. And I had had it for, you know, since my, almost my whole life. Right. So since I was like 10 to 26, and then I would say it's not even been since, since starting with you, I would say. Yeah. Your eating has changed. I've you really come to balance. I was restrictive in a yeah. in that sneaky wouldn't get diagnosed way. That's why, you know, looking at women's food journals and yeah. looking at your journal, it just is like this is restrictive eating. Yeah. But this is very common for women now. Yeah. It is. And, and this is the issue that Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was diagnosed with bulimia. Well, or I was anorexic and bulimic from, I started with anorexia when I was around 16. And maybe I can share that story of how it all happened. And then I became bulimic when I turned 19. What I'm seeing here is 
I think the eating issues that I saw in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, it's still, it's happening today on a different type of spectrum Mm -hmm. that women are not starving themselves, but they're so regimented and restricted in what they're eating. And I'm seeing that more and more when I look at women's food journals today. Mm -hmm. I also, just a few points I want to make. I think that being part of a a medical system or working with people who just having an illness and then having people say, well, let's focus on your diet to correct the illness made me more obsessive about what I was eating. And then when they say, let's make it a anti-inflammatory or some sort of FODMAPs or like you Mm -hmm. layer on almonds are evil and tomatoes are evil and all of these rules that basically made me feel like, okay, I can eat boiled chicken. That's it. And some spinach. And the way that I feel like my Lyme treatment was approached Mm -hmm. was very focused around food. And their idea was that food would be healing, but they Mm -hmm. weren't encouraging me to eat a lot. They were just telling me what I can't eat. And it made me afraid to eat. And And so my restriction was sort of exacerbated by that and then put alongside my conditioned type A perfectionist, be a good girl, be a good patient, adhere to the instructions, and I'm desperate to get better conditioning. All of that made me restrict more. But you weren't guided. And when I work with women, if they're having small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or IBS, I will put them on a food program. I say, we're going to, we're, I don't want to say restrict. I'm going to give you a framework of foods that I want you to incorporate in your diet. We'll bring other foods back in, but let's just calm everything down. And then coupling that mm-hmm. with supplements to address the underlying issues of why they're having gas and bloat and other things. But I always try to make it very clear to women this is not forever. We will expand it. Mm-hmm. And simplifying again, there are certain foods that really do set people off and they'll figure out which foods don't work for them. Like gluten and dairy can be, and, and other things can be difficult. But I find that a lot of times if you allow people to know the strategy of what you're doing and how they're going to eat and how you're going to expand on it mm-hmm. really makes a difference. And also coming from, you know, for me, coming from that background of, When I became anorexic or started on that path, I was 16 years old. And when I was 15, I suddenly in the middle of a school year had asthma. I think it was a combination of a panic attack and asthma. I was out of school for six weeks. And what they discovered is I had, I actually had mold allergies and I had some other allergies and I was tutored at home. And the next year, 10th grade, was signing up. I tried out for the basketball team, JV. I wasn't that good, but I wanted to be on the basketball team. I wanted to be part of something. And the teacher said, you know, I I can't have you on the team because you had asthma last year. And I said, please, 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 let me be on the team. So I was on the team. I think we lost, I don't know how many games, but it was so much fun. And I came home one night from a game and my mom said, you can no longer be on the basketball team. I said, why? She said, because I want you home for dinner. And I went, what? And she said, you can't be on the basketball team. And I went into my dad. I said, dad, I want to be on the basketball team. Listen to your mom. I was shattered. I lost my sense of self. And within two months, developed an eating disorder and dropped 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I just, 
I, it was like that tipping point for me. And it was like something that was taken away. And I found like, wow, if I lose, I only weighed like a hundred and I don't know. I always remember this number. I think it was like 123 pounds. I was five foot four. And I looked at this picture and I said, oh, I'm overweight. And then boom, I dropped down to about 98 pounds. And I felt good about myself because people were looking at me. It was something that I could be in control of. And it just started making my world so much smaller. But coming from that place of self-worth and feeling that you are part of something was part of the issue for me. I was, mm-hmm. I could go into it being one of 10 kids. I felt lost in the sauce. Yeah, it was, an, it was interesting. And then the anorexia snowballed into bulimia and finally getting help at the age of, I think it was around 27. But yeah, I remember that point. I shared that with my sister. I said, oh my God, that happened when I felt like I was part of something and I was taken away from that. And then I lost a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I think I didn't really feel like I had a sense of self for most of my life. That was the Mm -hmm. issue more so never feeling like what I wanted mattered at all. Like it was just a very distant secondary concern. Well, I think I agree with you because I feel that I was on the field hockey team in junior high and stuff. And I felt like I belonged that, that I had something that, and yeah, cause I, I didn't, you know, my identity, I, I didn't really, I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. I don't think you really... Yeah. Being part of a a community or being part of a tribe, I felt like I was part of a tribe. And then I was suddenly told that I could no longer be part of that tribe. And it's interesting to see what sets people off and then the things that we do and being a also very type A and doing the best I can and to excel. This is how I could show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And I will just share I'd gone on a trip to the Amazon, I think it was about in 2005, and I did ayahuasca. And ayahuasca is a hallucinogenic, and, you know, I I went on this spiritual journey and trip. And I remember when I took ayahuasca, I had this vision that I was suddenly in a circus. And it was, I don't know if they were, it was like, I saw these images, like French caricatures of the, you know, the grand circus master and people on the trampolines and these beautiful, they were just these, they were like these beautiful drawings. And suddenly the grand master comes out and he said, Meg, this is your life. And everyone's applauding and like, yes, Meg, we love you. And I looked at him. I said, I don't want this. And he said, you don't. And suddenly this ayahuasca trip just completely stopped and I fell asleep. And the next day I did ayahuasca again. And what I heard was, whatever you need, you only need to ask. You don't have to travel the world to find out who you are in life. Just go within and ask for what you want. But what I realized in this experience, I didn't want to stand out to be this superstar or select. How do I articulate this? I love the work I do. Mm-hmm. I don't need to stand out in the crowd. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, I just love being me. I don't want to be anything else but me. Yeah. 
And it was really, but it was profound because I traveled, I did a lot of traveling and I kept thinking, oh, if I go on this trip, if I take this uh, workshop in Ireland or if wherever I go, I'm going to learn something new about me. And what just came through, just go within yourself and ask and all your answers are there. And to this day, that's how I live my life. And yeah. I try to share with people, if you're having trouble, sit, ask it what you need. I don't know. I think we overcomplicate yeah. it. What What do I need right now? What would best serve me? I always say that to clients. What would best serve me in this moment? What do I need? Yeah. A lot of women that I work with, I mean, I'm sure men too, we're just, we're talking about women a lot today. Well, you know, because my they're, clients are they're, women. They're, they're so trying to be exceptional. That's yeah. like a really big value in society. Be exceptional, be the best. When I think deep down, what was true for me, I can't speak for others, but I assume mm. I think it could be applicable to others is that mm. I don't really care about being exceptional. That doesn't actually bring me joy. Amen, sister. It's, yes. It's a, yes. Yeah. It's a gold star that doesn't do anything for you to get to the top of the mountain. It's, it's really disappointing. And so it's like, what do you want? You want probably it's a lot simpler than all of that complexity of being exceptional. You have permission to stop pushing yourself, permission to do things imperfectly, permission to just be yourself, to show up as you in your life, permission to breathe, permission to, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. It's all for you. Your life is for you. This existence will end. You'll realize that it was all for your enjoyment. And yeah. why did we make the choices we made, really? Do you know what I hear sometimes in meditation? Or if I'm just bopping down the block, I'll hear, enjoy the ride, love, enjoy the ride. Because uh -huh. life is just <laughs> a succession of experiences. And this idea of being perfect and, and having success, who, who's setting those standards? Right? I, yeah. Um, of course, people can be indifferent pockets of the world. I mean, there's no, I like to say like, there's no world out there. It's just what we're perceiving. But the, the world that I was perceiving, and I think I was part of a large collective perceiving the same thing was that you look around and you see that those who are more quote unquote exceptional, those who are more successful in the traditional definition, having more money or prestige, they seem to have more value as human beings. That's the message that we're receiving all day long from media, from the school system, from, it seems like that's the goal. And you can choose to believe that and unconsciously absorb all that messaging, or you can make up your own choice of what you actually think is true about a human being's value and have that truth be reflected in your own life and how you live and the choices that you make for yourself. And that's been yeah. the piece that's brought me the most transformation is stepping outside of that messaging and going, I don't need to subscribe. It's okay. I don't need to be exceptional. I don't need to have the fancy resume. And, and I'm so much happier than when I was living that way. I, I could have, if I just kept my head down and kept subscribing, I could have probably had a lot of those things. Yeah, but you'd have more stuff. Sure, you I know, have more. Yeah. You have stuff. Yeah. I, I, I look at 
I mean, just to be perfectly honest, though, and transparent, it was so bad for me that I, I was suicidal. Like I was so not okay with the life that I was living. You know, on one hand, I say I could put my head down, but like it really became not a choice for me to continue living the way that I was living. And that's the other piece is that there's this intelligence to everything that's happening. And the control piece of life is like, it needs to go a certain way. And that was what was causing a lot of the stress that, you know, when I was leaving my job, like, oh my gosh, life is supposed to go a certain way. And it's not going that way for me right now. I'm going to have to leave this job and it's terrifying and what's going to happen next. But there was a huge intelligence because it was like the universe source, whatever you want to refer to a higher power, sort of nudging me in this loving way that felt horrible at the time. And a lot of women that I work with, it feels horrible. You feel like you're losing your identity. You don't know who you are. You're it's disorienting. You're in this free fall of what's going to happen if I leave this work, if I leave this identity behind, but it's actually nudging you towards an existence that is so much more joyful and full of self-love and nurturing and everything that you're trying to get to through means that are never going to bring you there. You know, have you ever heard of Matt Kahn? He was a spiritual teacher. Yes, yeah. And I heard he said this the other day, and I just was like, wow. He said, we exist, but we don't live. Mm-hmm. And I feel that for many, I think that we're not living, we're not, we're, we're in this place of, of survival. I know for me, this is my mantra, and, and, and I think it's taken me quite a while to honor this, but I, you know, I've, and I think I've been feeling this for quite some time every morning. And even during the day I get up and I say, how may I show up in the world to be of service? How may I open my heart to receive and how may I hold the space for others so that they can transform their lives and I can just be a catalyst or part of that process wherever they are along that way. And I give thanks for where I am right now and the struggles that I face. I give thanks because it's an opportunity for me to grow. That's beautiful. And that, I always cheer up. This is how I live my life. Mm-hmm. If I can show up every day, if I can have a session with a client and I say something that can shift their perspective so that they start taking better care of themselves. I go, oh, so that's what it is. Oh, wow, Meg. Yeah, you know what? I had somebody reach out to me recently and she said, wow. She said, I'm sleeping better. I'm Mm -hmm. preparing meals for myself. She said, I feel really good. I haven't felt this good in years. Thank you for supporting me along this journey. Yeah. I just reflect back people's Then you do this. I think we reflect back people's own divinity. Yeah. I mean, not to put down what we do in any way, but I don't feel like I'm saying anything that someone doesn't already know. I'm just giving them validation and approval and permission to step into it and to embody that energy and to start moving in that direction and showing up in the world in that way that they know to be the way that they want to be or the way that is based on how they actually want to live. 
Yeah, that's what you've been for me in small ways. You know, I, yes, I help other women with this, but I'm also a very imperfect human being on the path with my own challenges, right? No model of perfection here. And (laughs) I'm that is type based, I get, but I know that about me. Yeah. I'm totally aware of that. And when you and I have spoken, it's been that. It's been like, oh, yeah, like even the smallest thing about sleep, right? Like just, Mm Oh, because in my mind, I have a really hard time valuing sleep and getting myself to bed on a, at a good time. <laughs> and and just having you like constantly be like, you need to do this. It's okay to do this. Have a bath, get into bed, make tea. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Just to be tethered to someone that is encouraging you to do the things that you know you want to do is so helpful. Yeah. And on the eating piece, From the time that you and I have worked together, I have changed my way of eating so much Yeah, to the point where I don't really think about food. And I think about food way, way, way less than I did before. Before it was pretty regimented and I would eat the exact same foods every day and it would be very controlled. And now I feel a lot more relaxed. I feel I eat a ton more. You're really the only person that I worked with as a health practitioner that encouraged me to eat. I probably could even eat even more if I showed you my food journal. You'd probably be like, more, more, more. But you're the only one that like is get it going, girl, instead of here's just the things you can't eat and good luck. Another thing that that I I feel is important for so many, many of us, our kitchen, the food that we eat is, it defines our culture. Let's celebrate life. Let's not lose that. You know, so many times clients are like, I hate my kitchen. Well, how do we change that? What are some simple things that would bring you into the kitchen? Because the kitchen is your apothecary. How do you create a relationship around food that is nourishing? I think the same amount of time it takes you to do order takeout, you can make a meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you will feel better. And we do feel better. I cook all my meals. You know, yes, I'll go out. I never, I've got to say, I do not feel well when I go out to eat. I enjoy, you know, going to a friend's house for dinner or having friends over for dinner. But there's something for me that I find really comforting about cooking. My sister, the one time said to me, she was, she's like, I love chopping vegetables. They make me so happy. Mm-hmm. And there's a way of turning around what you do in the, in the kitchen. So maybe instead of cooking every night a week, maybe you get, what is it? Fresh basket. I forget some of those meals that you can in the box. Mm-hmm. If instead of seven days a week of, of takeout, maybe you get the fresh basket or whatever the heck it's called, and then have a few meals that you're cooking at home. And maybe that'll change. And when you cook, make enough for the next day. So you can have it for lunch. There's, I mean, you and I have had these conversations and I've said that to clients. There's so much you can do to keep food in the house and make it easier for yourself. Yeah. A little story I think that might tie the themes of today together really well Mm -hmm. is that I use this example in my coaching is that when you walk into the grocery store, most people are picking up the same, what, like 80 items every week, week after week, the same 80 items. And it's like, they don't even see that there are literally thousands and thousands of items in the grocery store. And when you begin to see that, oh my God, the grocery store is a playground. Yeah. Eating is amazing. 
there's so many more things. And where have we done that in our own lives? Where mm. we do the same thing day after day, we have blinders oh on, gosh. we don't yeah. see the options, we are in the routine, we don't see that, like when I'm talking to people about jobs, there are thousands of jobs you could do, but you literally mm. think there's only five. There's so much more. And life is a playground. Then life becomes a playground. Everything is on the menu, to be honest. And there's no right or wrong in choosing paths. No. No. You go down one path. I mean, I will just share very quickly. I've been this year just kind of automating the things that I do and learning new platforms and technologies, not my thing, and just to make my life easier. And I was doing a program and it was consuming every part of my being. And a few weeks ago, I just said, I'm not doing this program anymore. It's not bringing ease and grace and balance into my life. And I'm working with someone else, and it's just opening doors. And I've, you're right. It's very important to bring balance in, to make sure that we're taking time for ourselves. That goes for me, too. Finding enough personal time. I want to play pickleball. I'm trying to find a pickleball group in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's such a popular game. I really do love it. Actually, what I'd like to do, I, I said this to a client, a friend of mine, I want to go to pickleball camp for like a week. I want to play pickleball all day. I want to have yummy lunches, great dinners, and I want to read a book at night and have a good glass of wine. And that's what I want to do for a week. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and <that's, I> <laughs> that is very precise to you. Yeah. And there's, I say, follow the, the aliveness what's alive. And that's, yeah. what's alive for you. Yeah. And for each person, that's the question, like what feels yummy, what's alive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and do that with full permission to whatever that is. So Sarah, I want to thank you for joining me today and any other closing words before we give people information on how to reach out to you, which I will include in the show notes. I've loved our conversation today. What are three takeaways from this podcast for you? Oh, man, now I'm on the spot. That's right. You know, um, I do this in sessions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, you do. That's right, everyone. She puts you on the spot. What, what, was, what was helpful? What did you learn from today? <laughs> Homework. But, it'll be, but it's good for our listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's that there is a lot more joy that's possible for you. Okay. And that it's possible also to divorce stress from food. That had to become a really big conscious choice for me to separate stress from food and to begin making choices that honored me. Right. And the third thing is I just, I love you more. Mm, I love (laughs) love you, pumpkin. I love you. And I really do mean this to everyone listening. Sarah really leaned in a lot. And part of it was getting her to sleep. And sleep was a big challenge for you and some other things. But every session we've had, you always leaned in. And it was great. I love that. I always say, if you lean in, I will lean in with you. And this is what brings me joy in, in the work that I do. And I, you're such a blessing. You were really a blessing to the women that you work with. I know you do fabulous work. Thank you. So how can people contact you? How can people reach you? Yeah. So I have a website. It's sjoungwang.com. And or you can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Young Wang. 
And oh, and I said yeah. Wong. I'm so sorry. Well, it's the, the, so the correct pronunciation. You use the correct pronunciation, but oh, I say Wang because everyone will spell it wrong. So but I'll include it in the show notes okay. too. We spell it W-A-N-G. How good. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like my name, Richichi. It's really Rikiki. I will include that in the notes. I really, if you're looking for a career coach, Sarah will help you have incredible breakthroughs. And I truly mean that. And if you would like to work with me, you can reach me at megrichichi.com or megrichichi at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Hormone Lifestyle Zone or underscore PCOS revolution. So I want to thank everyone today for listening. May your day be glorious. You are divine and precious and sweet just the way you are. And all of you rock this world and you inspire me to be the best version of who I can be. So until the next Hormone Lifestyle Zone, I send all of you sweet kisses and hugs. Much grace. 